All right, so we are continuing in our series through the book of Proverbs, and we've taken a number of weeks on chapters 1 to 9, um, which has a little more clear structure to it, um, and it serves as an introduction to the book of Proverbs as a whole. Um, so 1 to 9 are actually intended to prepare you so that you benefit from 10 to 31. Um, so it's setting you up for how you ought to approach and receive all of um, that wisdom in chapters 10 to 31. So here we are, chapter 9. This morning we're going to bring this section 1 to 9 to a close, and then we're going to walk through 10 to 31, not section by section, but thematically. Like we're going to look at a week on what God's word, what the Proverbs says about words, wise speech, and work, and family, and friendship, and money, and a few other um, topics as well. All right? So <clears throat> chapter 9 ends this section, and it is a call for decisive response. Okay, there's this final contrast before we head into chapters 10, kind of, it's like a why in the road. Actually, we had a why in the road back in chapter 1, if you were here, if you remember. So after the introductory verses, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise um, instruction and discipline. So it's like, are you going to be wise or are you going to be a fool? There's choice to make, right? There's a, you come to a fork in the road. And the same thing happens here in chapter 9. So before we read it, I want you to think, though, with me. Um, maybe some of you are familiar with, many of you are familiar with um, one of Jesus' parables in Luke 14. So here's what happened. When one of those who was reclining at table with him heard what he was saying, he said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go check them out. Like, I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the bottom line, and it's intended to be obvious, is that they don't want to come. They have more important things to do, more important business to attend to. And their excuses show that to be the case. And actually, they end up shaming rather than honoring the host. They make it very clear that what was most valuable to them was something other than this feast. They're after their own selfish gain, at least what they think would be best for them. So, ah, yes, teacher, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom. In theory. It's like really easy to know things are true and right and good in our heads. But then it comes down to choices, right? And that's what 
this chapter in Proverbs is all about. Life come down, comes down to choices. And it's really easy to have excuses, right? So we are actually given two invitations in Proverbs chapter 9. We'll see that. And there's two responses in um, Proverbs chapter 9. So the question is going to be, whose feast will you join? Where will you feed your soul? To whom will you RSVP on the daily? Which path are we actually on? Which path am I actually on? Which path are you actually on? All right, so let's read the passage um, together here, and then we'll dive in. So it's Proverbs chapter 9, and if you are using the Pew Bible, you can find Proverbs chapter 9 on page 533. So I'll read the whole chapter here. You can follow along, and then I'll pray briefly, and then we'll dive in. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still, still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of, of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him t turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves to figure things out. You are a speaking God who delights to reveal himself. And we thank you that we can know you. We thank you that by your grace, you have... <clears throat> done everything necessary that we can be reconciled to you, our sin completely dealt with. You know us fully and you love us still. We thank you for Jesus who made that all possible and 
reconciles us to you and makes all of your wisdom and grace and mercy and goodness available to us. And I pray that you would please pour out what we need this morning. Tune our palates and our taste buds. Make us hungry for the right things. Give us humility and responsiveness to you. Lord, guard us from hardness of heart that would scoff at you or at your wisdom. I pray that we would all be ready and receptive, that you would give us attentiveness to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Help me, help each of us to receive your grace and truth and wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so point number one, two invitations. So what we're going to do is look at the bookends of this passage, the front end and the tail end, and then we'll look at the middle, and then we'll apply it all, all right? So two invitations. In a sense, you could call them rival banquets. You could call them dueling banquets, not dueling banjos, but dueling banquets. Um, So the first one is in verses 1 to 6, and the second one is verses 13 to 18. So we'll look at them each in turn, and then we'll look at those verses in between. All right, so two invitations. First invitation is from wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. So her house is large. If you need seven pillars, that's a large house. And it is rock solid. Seven being a number of perfection or completion. So her house is solid. This is building your house on the rock, okay, not on the sand of folly. So she has slaughtered her beasts. They belong to her. She has mixed her wine. It's hers. She doesn't need to steal the drink she's offering, like woman folly that we'll look at in verse 17. She also has set her table. She has sent out her young women to call. We've said this repeatedly in previous weeks. God's wisdom is not just for the ivory tower, though it certainly applies there as well. It actually is, it's got blue collar, white collar, and it comes out to where we are. It, it has to do with every aspect of life. So she sends out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, in a sense, gullible, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. So you can eat and drink this feast openly. No need to hide. No need for shame, which is, again, contrasted with verse 17. We'll see that in a few minutes. Um, In verse 6, leave your simple ways. If you're looking at an ESV, you might see a little um, footnote there. Do you see it? Let's see, what number is it? Um, Five. And down at the bottom it says, or leave the company of the simple. That's probably the more, um, that's probably the better translation. So it's not just a call to leave your gullibility behind, but also you are forsaking bad company and joining the community of the wise. Okay, so 
leave the company of the simple and live and walk in the way of insight. So Lady Wisdom here is wisdom personified. God's wisdom is inviting us to true blessing and satisfaction. The feast belongs to her. It's hers to offer. It's a rich feast. Since Greg is here, I'm going to just say this. This came to mind just now. Um, when he was here, sometimes we would encourage each other via text and you know, send a scripture passage, and sometimes Greg would respond with, steak and eggs, baby. So if you don't like steak and eggs, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but like steak and eggs. So that means it's really good. So if you need to put something else in that passage. But this is a rich feast. It's meat, slaughtered her beasts, and bread, and good wine. It's mixed to make it even better. Spices or whatever they did back then. Okay, so this is a rich banquet of grace and wisdom. She is dignified, full of honor and integrity. You can trust this offer. There is no false advertising here. But something a little strange here. Anybody remember Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. Okay, a few of you. Um, There'd be like three pairs of sunglasses on the table and then a hat with a propeller on the top or something, you know? So does anything seem out of place in this scene? The only thing out of place is what in the world is the simpleton doing there? The one lacking sense. The one that's welcome in. I mean, everything else is dignity, stability, so what? Why do I point that out? It's because it's our deficiency and need that qualifies us to enter. Doesn't keep us out. Isn't that wonderful? Like wisdom, listen, wisdom is outside of us. Everything in our culture will tell us it's the opposite. You've got to find your truth within. Wisdom is outside of us. It's not found within. We are in need of it. We're not born wise. We're not born, you know, like really knowing the grain, how to live according to the grain in God's universe with competence and skill. But thanks be to God, wisdom is not for the smart, the sophisticated, the impressive. God's feast of wisdom is open to fools and simpletons like us. Anybody thankful for that? I don't know. I am. That's good news. And also, amazingly, God is a God of invitation. We've all gone our own way, like wise in our own eyes by nature, forsaking the one who knows what's best for us. And how does he respond? He's not aloof. Like, yeah, you deserve to wallow in it for a while. He's not saying, you made your bed, now sleep in it. He doesn't say, you know, get out of your mess, get yourself together, and then maybe we'll talk. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He's sending his servants to where we are to invite us in. In other words, anyone can get in on this. Except the scoffer. We'll have to get to that in a few minutes. But literally, anyone who's willing to turn can get in on this. All you need to do is turn and enter. Turn and trust and eat. So I think we're going to close with this song. Um, we've sung this song a number of times. I love this song, Come Ye Sinners. 
Here's just a few of the lines. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. And then, come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Because he's the one that can make you better. You can't make yourself better on your own. So if you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. And then let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness, fitness to come into his presence. Fondly dream all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Do you see how that, like, fits hand in glove with the fear of Yahweh? It's God is God and I am not. I'm not gonna, like, I don't want my will to be done as, on, on earth as it is in my mind. I don't want to try to be the master of my faith, fate. I'll just make a wreck of things. I am foolish in and of myself. I need his wisdom to know how to live. So all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Johnny mentioned it, said it before. You don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath. So all we have to do is turn. Turn in here. All we have to do is repent and come to the feast. Leave our companions. Sometimes we need to leave our simpleton ways behind us. So there can be significant cost, but the gain is worth that loss. So repentance leads to life. Remember, that's kind of how we started. Chapter 1, back in verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So repentance is as simple as turn in here. Like if you walked in this door not sure about Jesus, not sure if you're a Christian, Jesus is saying, listen, I made you. I know what's best for you. I came and lived and died for you and rose again so that you can be remade and have life now and forever. Turn in here. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest and I will give you wisdom and I will satisfy your soul. That's repent and believe. It's as simple as that. Turn in here. And for those of us who are believers, that is the daily battle. Like repentance and faith should be like breathing for the Christian. Exhale, turn from all the substitutes, all the things that I might want to trust in or value above Jesus, making excuses and not coming into the feast and turning and trusting and feeding. So, listening to the call of Lady Wisdom, God's gracious voice in our lives begins with us turning from our folly, turning from trusting in ourselves, right, leaning on our own understanding, and turning to fear God, not people. Trust God. He is our wisdom and our help and our strength and our everything. So we're always turning. We're always turning from things to things. So this is so practical. 
like on the daily. Again, the RSVP, getting ahead of myself a little bit, but is an on the daily sort of thing. If we turn to God's substitutes and functional saviors, we're turning away from God. So wisdom calls to us, and we need to act. We need to respond. And this turn to wisdom is like coming to a feast. Isn't that great? So I quoted this before. I'm going to just quote it again. Neil Plantiga, if we try to fill our hearts with anything besides the God of the universe, we find that we are overfed but undernourished. And we find that day by day, week by week, year after year, we are thinning down to a mere outline of a human being. That's not what God wants for us. Lady Wisdom is calling out to come in and feast and be satisfied and strengthened. But Lady Wisdom's not the only one calling to us. Okay, The siren song of the world, the flesh, and the devil are channeled through the woman folly. So let's look at her call in verses 13, her invitation in verses 13 to 18. So the woman folly is loud. She is seductive, tying it into chapters 5 to 7. We looked at that in previous weeks. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat That word, actually, in Hebrew, most of the time refers to a a throne. So she's like on this faux throne. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way to derail them, to lead them astray. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's really interesting. She doesn't say, eat my wonderful feast. She just tries to deceive so that you do. Because she really doesn't have much to offer. It's water and bread as opposed to meat, wine, and bread. And it's stolen water, and it's bread that you have to eat in secret. So Proverbs 20, verse 17 says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Anybody testify to the truth of that? I'm not just raising my hand to get you to. I can testify to the truth of that, right? Verse 18, But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, of the grave. So did you notice there in verse 13, she knows nothing, and now he doesn't know. Like, if you listen to her, you will become like her, foolish like her. So this is a siren song. We talked about siren songs a couple weeks ago, and this siren song is inviting you to a banquet in the grave. Hungry? We need to see it that way, right? Because we can know what's right and keep choosing the wrong feast. All she can offer is guilty pleasures. Her feast is stolen. It's not hers, and it's bread and water. This is like a picture of the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
as opposed to the true satisfaction that comes in Jesus. So what, like, okay, okay, okay. What does this sound like? I think we need to think through what does this sound like? I'm just going to give maybe two examples. So, you know, we can picture her, you know, as this brazen seductress kind of man-spreading, you know, outside the door, calling out to you as maybe she smokes weed. And that might mean that some of us would just completely dismiss, like, huh, wouldn't be that dumb. She's a shapeshifter according to your fallen desires and mine. So if you want to be, listen, thought well of and accepted by the world, she may say that Christian truth is too regressive and restrictive and simplistic and unscientific. So she shapeshifts to seduce you with her seeming sophistication. Okay? Like, and on and on. What are the ways that you would be tempted to be conformed to this world rather than transformed by God's wisdom? So the two invitations are clear. Woman wisdom, woman folly. Secondly, second big picture point, two responses, okay? God is calling for our RSVP here. You know what RSVP stands for? I'm not gonna give you a great French accent here, but oh, you don't wanna do it? Okay, you don't want to. Okay, so, répondez, s'il vous plaît. All right, so it's, please respond. We all must respond. We all are responding every day. And we're either pursuing life-giving wisdom, flowing from fear of Yahweh, reverence toward him, he's God, we're not, or deadly, killer folly, we need to see the starkness of the contrast. There's no, like, you know, easy middle ground of limbo or whatever or neutrality. So look at the two paths here in 7 to 12. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. And then... You have a new category here. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of Yahweh, of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation. It's the thing upon which all wisdom is built. It's the starting point. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One, relational, intimate knowledge with God is insight. Echoing the motto of the book, right? 1-7. So again, you can see how this is bookends. Chapter 1, chapter 9 bookends to this introductory section. Verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. Do you remember last week when Eugene preached on chapter 8 and how chapter 8 ends? Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So if you are wise, 
it's good for you. You're wise for yourself, but if you scoff, you will pay. You alone will bear it. So this actually, 7 to 12, concretizes this RSVP. Which lady you follow and which feast you sit down at. This actually fleshes out your real RSVP. So, so look at what's going on here in verses 7 to 12. How do you, how do I, receive instruction and correction and reproof? Ooh. Our wisdom is put to test in these contexts. And our pride gets dinged, right? But this is so essential to whether we will be wise and on the path to wisdom or foolish and on a very dangerous trajectory. So humility and receptivity to rebuke and correction and learning and change and growth, it comes from humility and the fear of Yahweh. But scoffers, like fools, will scoff. So there's actually a progression in Proverbs. Um, do this really quickly. So you have different words for the fool, and they can be the simple, the gullible. They can be the fool. And then the scoffer is like the most hardened version. So you can see it as a continuum. And you realize that Lady Wisdom does not call to the scoffer because he's already hardened his heart so much and stuck his fingers in his ears so much that he does not want to hear or turn. So it's like hardening of heart is really dangerous, right? We don't want to be the scoffer. So this is a warning here for him to focus on the wise and the scoffer. So fools scoff. Look at verses 7 and 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man, see how scoffer and wicked are parallel there, incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. So scoffing, it's self-injury, it's closed mind, a closed mind to God's word and his wisdom, like, like reacting to God like, who do you think I am? What do you take me for, fool? You insult me. But oftentimes God's word comes from a human, and we can see how we might be prone to answer that way. So who is a scoffer? I, I found this little section in um, Ray Ortland's Proverbs commentary really helpful. So I'm, it's, it's a little bit extended, but I'm going to read it here. And then we're going to see from several passages in Proverbs how important it is to welcome, not stiff arm and resist, correction, rebuke, all of that. So who's a scoffer? Ortland writes this. A scoffer is anyone who never accepts correction. He thinks other people really need his opinions. He's easily offended. He is above other people. And if someone seems to threaten his superiority, he scoffs. He mocks. He mouths off. He denigrates. And then he writes, Phil Vischer, creator of VeggieTales, spoke at Yale in 2005, and he said this. For me and for many in my generation, the real root of our cynicism... That's maybe a dangerous cousin of scoffing and maybe a little more of a, a little closer to home for us. The real root of our cynicism is personal. When we were very young, our parents broke their promises. Their promises to each other, their promises to us, and millions of American kids in a very short period of time learned that the world isn't a safe place, that there isn't anyone who won't let you down. 
that their hearts were much too fragile to leave exposed. And sarcasm, as C.S. Lewis put it, builds up around a man the finest armor plating that I know. And then Ortland comments, we've all been let down. And by now we have no reason not to be cynical scoffers. No reason except Jesus. And he is reason enough. He will never let us down. He is why we humble ourselves and open up and listen. He is why the tone of our churches need not be sarcasm, but reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The truth is, we have let him down so many times. Like, if anybody could scoff, it could be Jesus at us. Writing us off and obviously condemning us to hell and he'd be just to do it. But here, back to the quote, but here is his heart toward us. I will not execute my burning anger for I am God and not man, the holy one in your midst. Hosea 11.9. Because it is his loving heart speaking into our lives, we open up and say, Lord, I want to know how I can grow. Please tell me. That humble eagerness is wisdom. It is the fear of the Lord. It is reverence. So, okay, that could be helpful. Maybe you are not a scoffer or a cynical fool. I mean, hopefully none of us are. But I remember David Palson one time saying, beware the defining characteristics of evildoers are often the remnant tendencies of believers. So we all need to heed this warning, even if we're not in the scoffer category. And you know, I hope we aren't. So listen, like giving and receiving correction, reproof and discipline, like in the church, in the home. I mean, the manner of that really matters, but still we're going to need it. And our pride is going to, you know, stiffen and bristle. But listen to wisdom here so that we avoid the path of folly that hardens into scoffing like, oh, that looks like we need to see how dangerous that path is. So listen to just a few um, proverbs along these lines, and then we'll look at the second response, wise fear. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof, this is 1531, if you want to write down the references and look them up later. So Proverbs 1531, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Another one, 12.15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 15.12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. 28.23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue, if that man is wise and receives that rebuke. And then one final warning from 29.1, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. So we want to avoid 
anything that takes us down the path to becoming a scoffer. Second response is wise fear. Look at verse 8. The second half. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, your years will be and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. Okay, so fear of the Lord is the opposite of scoffing. Wise fear is the RSVP (laughs) that we need. Openness, open mind to God's word and his wisdom and his rebuke and his correction and his training. Our RSVP here is determined by whether we receive these things humbly. And chapter 9 is setting us up for the rest of the book, right? To receive maximum benefit from the rest of the Proverbs. We need to take the fear of the Lord, take this humble, open posture with us the whole way through. So we write our RSVP in daily choices. God is God. We are not. We humbly welcome his word that shows us who we are in the mirror. Sometimes we don't like what we see but we want to welcome his potter's hand to correct and shape us. He has our best interest at heart. He disciplines those he loves. He reproves everyone, every son, daughter that he accepts. So in light of woman wisdom and woman folly, their invitations, their feasts, in light of the instruction and warning in verses 7 to 12, last point, come to the table. So there's this picture painted of these two different feasts. One, a true and satisfying feast, and then another one that's probably kind of like, um, anybody been to south of the border? <laughs> I mean, it's like billboard after billboard after billboard. You're going to like, this is going to be like the best place in the world. And then you get there and you're like, they haven't updated this place since like 1979. This is the most, the kitschiest place. In the, I mean, that's Overpromise, underdeliver. So you can eat on the sand and starve, or you can eat on solid ground and live. Two ladies, two invitations, two feasts. God is calling out to you and me this morning, inviting us to his feast. Isaiah 55, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. God wants you to eat what is good. He wants to feed you well. He wants to feed your soul well. He wants to satisfy you with what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Isaiah 55. Jesus, in whom all the wisdom and knowledge of God is found, is the ultimate feast. And so he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never ever hunger. And whoever believes in me will never, ever thirst. I can satisfy your soul. 
John 6, 51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The grace that is blood-bought with his broken body hung on that cross is what satisfies and strengthens and reforms and reshapes and gives us wisdom. So brothers and sisters, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Oh, this is the next verse in Psalm 34. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Lions in their prime suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So listen, let me just wrap this up this way. Um, I remember reading the book Future Grace by John Piper, and I think it might be in the introduction or somewhere right near the beginning. He says, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied in God. We dare not starve our souls. Like, there's no reason to starve our souls. God's table is not some pathetic soup kitchen or McDonald's drive-thru. Sorry, if you like McDonald's, I stepped on your toe. I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, so, listen, when we've got good access to delicious, healthy meals, we're less likely to eat stuff that's really bad for us. I know there's exceptions. Stop teasing this out in your head and, you know, destroying my metaphor or my illustration here. When you're really hungry and you're at a gas station convenience store, you'll eat anything. Similarly, if your marriage is healthy and warm, a seductive invitation holds no appeal. But if your marriage is cold and strained, that overture is flattering and can be tempting. So we see woman folly in verses 13 to 18, and we know she's lying. We know that her promises are vacuous right now. We know it leads to death. And then we get really hungry and we just turn in to her. Like we can be really lackadaisical with God's wisdom, can't we? We don't seek it. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We already know that. And we slowly starve our souls, sometimes quite without knowing it. And we wonder why we feel so empty. We wonder why we feel so dull and lifeless. And then we're more and more likely to try to fill the emptiness with something on Lady Folly's menu. Or to use a good gift to try to be what only Jesus can be. So we self-medicate. We can run to food or entertainment or endless scrolling or hobbies or whatever and try to like stuff it in and fill that emptiness and we feel alive for a little bit but then the lows can slowly get lower and lower. So this hunger and emptiness can drive some people to, you know, like bolster their, you know, impressiveness. Other people, they just throw up their hands. Like, what is your soul food? 
Whatever it is, wisdom is appealing to you here. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jeremiah Burroughs, in a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, wrote this. He said, the reason why you have not got contentment in the things of the world is not because you've not got enough of them. That's not the reason. But the reason is because they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Many think that when they are troubled and have not got contentment, it is because they have but a little in the world. And if they had more, then they would be content. That is just as if a man were hungry and to satisfy his craving stomach, he should gape and hold open his mouth to take in the wind. And then should think that the reason why he's not satisfied is because he's not got enough of the wind. No, the reason is because the thing is not suitable to a craving stomach, a craving soul. So here we are at the proverbial altar call moment. Proverbial, it's Proverbs, right? This is the come to Jesus moment. And it's not just right now, it's gonna be every day. Who needs the most help knowing what's good for them? Parents? <laughs> Children, right? they're naive and simple and vulnerable and easily misled and they would eat Doritos all day if we let them, right? You know? Although, some of us would probably eat Doritos all day. Anyway, whatever. Okay. <laughs> they're the ones that most often don't know what's good for them. Well, guess what? We're all children here. We need to humble ourselves and realize the foolish little children we are Let's listen to our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He knows what's good for us way better than we know ourselves. He says, Psalm 81, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So we have a little poem on the wall in our kitchen. And the first stanza goes like this. The title of it is A Happy Holy Home, A Family Prayer. Lord, grant a happy holy home where lines are clear and children roam with joyful freedom in your way and never linger near nor stray to deserts boasting greener grass. For such mirages quickly pass and soon our mouths are full of sand instead of singing in the land of living waters cold and clear where you are with us ever near. Lord, grant a happy, holy home until we're happy, holy home. So let's look carefully then how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray.